All right? So let's stand up and uh, celebrate uh, yes. uh, the resurrection and clapping our hands all together. <laughs> okay? All right. <laughs>
became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and cared the cross love so Again, Jesus Messiah. Jesus Messiah. Name above all names. Blessed Redeemer. Emmanuel. The rescue for sin.
Jesus Messiah, Jesus, thank you. The Father's right. 
testimony. Good. So a few years back, I started wondering what the heck God wanted from me. Ever felt like Jonah? That's kind of how I felt. So I went to, um, I did lay ministry training. I went to the uh, theology school. I did it all. But while this was going on, my body told me I was Job. So going with the brain and the heart, feeling a strong need to serve, and the body saying, eh, I don't think so, made it challenging. I witnessed things, and I tend to be one of these people, which I don't know if it's good or bad, but I see bad and negative, and it affects me health-wise and physically. So I got really flustered when I went to theology school and didn't find answers. I wanted to know why there was so much pain and wickedness in the world. And my favorite line, which is what triggered the prayer song that I'm going to share with you soon, was when the principal of the university, um, I lost my sight, 90% of my sight, briefly. I've had surgery since, so I can see you all. <laughs> but at the time, I went blind, and the, uh, I asked for a note taker, because I couldn't see, and I was told, do you really think you could be a minister or serve the church when you need something yourself. And I started thinking, well, the ministers, every minister I ever met had a secretary. So what would make my need for a note taker any different? So I had a little discussion and a, with different people, and then I was told, why don't you take a time out, come back when you're healed. I'll be honest with you, if I took a time out every time I waited for something to heal, I'd be in bed all the time. So it's like, no, life goes on, life happens. But what happened while all this was going on is I was getting flustered with God, and I'm like, God, you're seeing all of this. How can you let it happen? But me being who I am and was, um, I've always had a connection with God. And um, I apologize for my glasses, not to be rude, but the light bothers me. Um, I, I wanted to reach out and I wanted him to hear, but I couldn't speak. I lost my speaking voice. But being a musician, the music doesn't quite disappear, so it's still there. Um, I will share the prayer song. The last verse is a chorus, and if you're up for it and inclined, you're welcome to join me. It's called, Oh Lord, What Can I Do? And I need to hang on to some, just in case I won't lose my balance. So he goes, I'm going to do it a cappella. God, can you hear me? No one else is listening. I know you said you'd be there. Lord, I'm ready now. Please hold my hand in this world so grand. Everyone's complaining, waiting for some raining. The poor pray for food, the weak want to feel good. All I ask is to hold my hand today. When I cry, I pray to you. Lord, I know times can be cruel. And at times I am a fool. All I can do is pray to you. I pray to thank you for the sun. I pray to thank you for the moon. Not much to ask but for some fun and world peace real soon. 
and world peace real soon. I'd like to see more trees with leaves, less cars taking up gas, more people in middle class. Oh Lord, what can I do? Oh Lord, what can I do? When I cry, I pray to you. Lord, I know times can be cruel. And at times I am a fool. All I can do is pray to you. Oh Lord, what can I do? Oh Lord, what can I do? Oh Lord, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? beautiful. Today I'm going to be reading Corinthians 15, 1 to 11. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received and passed on to you is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. I'm going to sing. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Would the ushers come forward, please? And let's pray together. This is our opportunity to worship through giving, to recognize that all that we have comes from God and to give back to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your riches and glory and that you have showered them on us. This is not about stuff. This is about your love. This is about your goodness. This is about Jesus. We thank you today and we celebrate again our risen Savior. We have lots of ways to respond to who you are and what you do, and this is one of those things that we do. We recognize that our life and our breath and our strength comes from you, and that makes it possible for us to work. We give back to you a portion of what you have given to us. As an act of worship, God, help us to give cheerfully, 
Help us to give regularly. Help us to listen to you for what we should give and for how much, and then to respond with obedience, whatever that is. We pray that you would bless each giver, that you would take the gifts, that you would use them and multiply them for the purposes of your kingdom in this part of Toronto and all around the world. We ask in Jesus' name. Again, I 
have like this sweat trail on my back by the time the sermon's done, but that's pretty normal. Yeah, hey, glad to be here. Sorry I'm running a bit late. Please forgive me. It's, uh, it's been a couple busy weekends. I slept in a little bit this morning. Uh, and uh, yeah, I just, uh, even this past weekend, last weekend was Easter. It was a great weekend if you were here. And this past weekend, Friday night, most of you probably had pretty boring nights. But you, do you know what was going on here? From 6.30 p.m. till 12.30 a.m. was a six-hour Bible study. Can I get a whoop-whoop? Yeah, yeah. And, and it was like this intense, it's called Secret Church, and it was this intense Bible study where hundreds of thousands of people across the world were going through Scripture and, and praying for the persecuted church in Iran. And some of you were like doing boring stuff like watching hockey games and Man, you missed out. Those of you who were there, I only made it halfway through the night, and nature called me home. But uh, those of you who were there, uh, good night. Yeah, they're all like half awake. And then yesterday I got to speak at a church in uh, Hamilton that was celebrating their 125th anniversary. There, there's not a lot of those in Canada. There really isn't. So that was just a great celebration. So once again, sorry for being a little late this morning. Um, but we're, we're, we're back into this follow series and what it means to follow Jesus. And three weeks ago, we talked about what is the benefit of following Jesus. So if you say, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, you go through it in life. When you're looking back in life at 120 on your, you know, on your bed, hospital bed, what have you, you're reflecting, was it worth it? What was the benefit? And we came to the conclusion that the benefit of following Jesus and it doesn't sound like a big deal until you unpack it, is you get this confidence. You get this unbelievable confidence that grows and grows as you follow him. And it comes to a point where you become so confident, your faith is so strong in God, you're fearless. Could you imagine what life would be like if you went through it without fear? No anxiety, no worry. Anything comes your way, any problems, any trials, anything. You have complete confidence in God and fear doesn't even enter the equation. Pretty amazing benefit. And some of you experience that. Some of you are well on your way. And for others of you, you're like, well, I don't know if that's a benefit I want to sign up for yet. And then uh, two weeks ago, we talked about, uh, we looked at the demoniac uh, the man who was probably the epitome of lost in scriptures could have had 2,000 plus demons in his body. We don't quite know, but his name's Legion. And Jesus exercises the demons, and his man's um, just freed. And then Jesus, instead of letting him literally follow him, says, Go and tell your friends and family about the mercy God's shown you. And we ask the question, How do I know if I'm following? And how do you know if you're following? It's because you really know, you really know what Jesus did for you. And when you really know, you really understand what Jesus done for you, you can't contain it. You, you pursue it. You want everyone to know it. You know that you're following when you know what he has really done for you, the debt that he's paid for you. And today, I want to go into the story in Mark chapter 5. And it's about a guy who's in a hurry. And let me read it to you. I mean, he's in a hurry. 
And I want to ask you the question, and the goal I hope by the end of this sermon is, what does a follower look like? What does a follower of Jesus look like? Let me read the story. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. I have it in your, your notes there. You can follow along in your Bibles as well. It may, but probably not, come up on the screen. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come. And put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed him and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she grabbed his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, know, then the woman knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in shalom and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they all laughed at him. And he put them all out. He took the child's hand and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old, and at this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray, and then let's uh, unpack this a little bit. Uh, God, thank you. I know some of us have just come from busy weeks, and we're starting this new, fresh week in a hurry as well. And our agendas are full. Our lives are packed full. We got a lot going on, um, and uh, at the same turn, we, we're expecting great things from you, Jesus. We want you to join us in our chaos. We want you to uh, speak to our hearts, uh, um, whisper to us, even in our business, um, and with our priorities and policies and everything. We just want to hear from you. And so today, God, as we uh, just take a couple minutes and look at the most incredible words, the most incredible book, and the most incredible person, um, show us how to be more like you and what it means to follow you. Um, help us to hear and really hear, hear and uh, 
just, just remove any distractions that are impeding us right now and help us just give you all our focus. In your precious name, amen. All right. What does it look like? Or sorry, what does a follower of Jesus look like? Let me show you a picture here. Who are they following? Raptors. What about this one? Leaves. All right, next one. So that's Rod Stewart, famous musician. I'm dating myself once again. Everyone under 35 is like, huh? But who's he follow? Really, is it his haircut that's giving him away? He's a good-looking guy, yeah. yeah. He's got a strange thing around his neck, doesn't he? He's got, he's got an execution device around his neck. I'm thinking about getting a necklace that has a needle on it to represent, you know, lethal injection and just carrying it around. And what movement are you a part of? He, he's wearing an execution device around his neck. But for the last 2,000 years, people who have, for some reason, worn this thing have often been identified as followers of Jesus. Now, if a Muslim or Jewish person saw you wearing this, they'd be offended. Did you know that? Because for them, the Crusades happened yesterday. And people, their families, their ancestors were slaughtered by people who bore this symbol. And you and I and some of us, we wear this around our neck thinking, hey, this is what a follower of Jesus should wear. So is this what a follower of Jesus should look like? No, he should have his shirt buttoned all the way up. <laughs> yeah, that's not very modest. Uh, next one. Ah, uh, anyone go through a phase where they wore one of those cheesy Christian t-shirts? I did. I'm like in college, I'm like, I want to have a bold witness uh, for Christ. And I wore like cheesy ones like this. I'm sorry if I'm offending any of you here today that's wearing one. You're like, oh, uh. <laughs> I got one underneath, don't worry. Uh, but is this what a follower of Jesus should look like? Okay, we're having fun here, but, you know, let's peel back the layers. Let's, let's, let's get real serious here. How about this one? Maybe the problem is Christians just are so materialistic. We just need to get simple, like our Amish Mennonite brothers and sisters. So when the world looks at us, they see simplicity. And people who are just not caught up in the world's materialism. Is that what a follower of Jesus should look like? When I was in high school, I'm not sure if it's still the case, I don't even know if they still do this anymore, but um, you could always spot a Jehovah Witness in your class. Do you remember why? It's not because of what they wore, but whenever the national anthem played, they left the room. Anyone remember that or experienced that? Yeah, so you know who the JWs were. So maybe what we need to do is like, I don't know, when a certain song plays, we all just get up and start dancing. Or uh, I don't, maybe there's something that Christians should just, when you, you just know them by something they do. So we come to this story here today, and it's a bewildering story. I, 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 don't, know, but I don't know, if you don't find this story today bewildering, 
I guess you just don't find the story bewildering, but let me break it down to you with like just some personal examples and angles that maybe you haven't considered before, but I've, uh, when I first came to Richview, I was doing a lot of commuting, and in the matter of one month, I actually passed three kidney stones. Brutal! Uh, I, I've, uh, I've had nails through my feet, I've had my lip torn from my face, I've broken bones in most parts of my body, and every time I've gone to triage, I've had to wait. This is one of my favorite pictures, but this is one time I was speaking at a youth retreat, and I was playing basketball. I should never play basketball. Things like this always happen. I slipped, and I broke my wrist in eight spots. Now, it's not a very clear picture because this is uh, about seven years ago. Uh, go back one. That one's scary. Uh, whoa. Uh, see right there in the wrist? Sorry, I have great pictures, some of them, but they're not family-friendly. I'll just show you some uh, semi-PG-related ones. But no, go back, go back. You're too excited. Um, uh, I, so I go to the hospital thinking, you know, this arm's just kind of candy cane hanging there. I'm in the middle of the country. I go to this little country hospital. Nobody's in emergency. But the doctor kind of brings me in a room, hooks me up in this like Iron Maiden finger device that holds my hand up, and I sit like that for the whole weekend, waiting for a surgeon. Good times. And then finally the surgeon shows up, you can go to the next picture, and I don't know what I was waiting for, that's kind of terrifying, but then he shoves some, uh, you know, some uh, splints in there, but great pictures. If you ever have great pictures, send them to me. I collect this stuff. Yes, I'm twisted. Anyhow. Very, very fascinating, though. The next day, Monday, I come home from the retreat. You can go to the next picture. because and, and I have a, a couple diseases, but one disease, I got this new medication that they decided to try out on me on that following Monday. And I start swelling up. So I have this one arm that's all in this, like, crazy cast, totally not movable. This other side of me starts swelling up. The other side of me starts swelling so up that my broken arm is far more usable then my good arm, and I'm like the Michelin tire man, I'm just getting huge. I go to emerge, and they're like, uh, you can't breathe or whatever, come on back. So go home within four hours, and this is, this is a very, not a very good picture. I looked a lot worse than this, but I totally blew up. I got covered in a rack, and then my throat started constricting. They rushed me back to emerge. It was awesome. I get to emerge. Totally filled with people, like emerges sometimes. It like parts like the Red Sea. They throw me in a wheelchair. Parents are shielding their kids from looking at me. I don't look too terrifying here, but I'm totally like all ten plagues in one. And they rush me in, and I'm there for about a week, but they fix me up. Awesome. Quick service. So now I know, here's how you get through emerge quickly. Two years ago, some of you remember this one. Still, next picture, not too bad, but everything on me exploded this time. This is actually a pretty good picture of me, but like, at one point, like, you didn't even know what I looked like. Everything blew up. I couldn't walk. They, they rushed me to the hospital. This one was even cooler because uh, Tobacco General is like even busier than usual. Not only does like the Red Sea part, they take me right into the infectious disease ward. And I get CAT scans, MRIs, lumbar punctures. I got everything. It was fantastic. Great service. 
And if you're, you know, a hospital practitioner, professional, they have policies and procedures they follow, right? We may not like them. So imagine, you can probably close that page or go black because people's stomachs, they're starting to lose their appetite. <laughs> P, um, imagine you're running a first century triage. And this woman shows up. She's like, yeah, I've been, I've been bleeding for 12 years. Can you help me? And then someone else comes in, and it's a dad. And they're carrying their daughter, and she's just been shot by a gun even though they didn't have those in first century, so we'll say an arrow, and she's bleed, and she's just hanging on to life. And you're in charge of triage. Which one do you see first? Or, or let's look at it a different way. Let's look at it on a spiritual level, this story, all right? And I, and I kind of broke it down here so you can kind of see it. This female comes into your first century triage. So in first century culture, she's a second-class citizen. All right? And she's because she's a female. Unfortunately, that's the way it was. See, she's ceremonially unclean because she's bleeding. That means no one's allowed to touch her. She hasn't had human contact for 12 years. She's poor, probably, especially if she's been bleeding for 12 years. Bottom of the social chain, because not only she's a female, she's ceremonially unclean. She's an outcast. She's superstitious. How do I know that? Because she's like, I don't know if she had trinkets or stuff on her, but she's like, believe some weird myth that if you grab a guy's hem of his cloak, you'll be healed. That's like what wonky people do. You know people are always trying to sell you crazy things, like homemade recipes? That's this lady, all right? She's got a chronic bleeding issue, but it's chronic. She's had it for 12 years. What's a couple more days? What's a couple more weeks? What's a couple more months? But I think we could all agree, life has sucked for her. Then, you got this other guy. Remember, you're operating triage here, first century. He's a male. Not only that, he's a synagogue ruler. High standing, at least in the Jewish community. Probably rich. Probably because he's a synagogue ruler, top of the social chain. Religious, godly man godly man and his daughter's about to die and he's at the moment of his greatest need now all of you who are operating this triage who do you see first you see the girl right jesus and 100% of hospital triages would have gotten fired. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And here he goes and starts to work on this woman. What's he doing? And, his, and Jairus and his disciples are like, Jesus, what are you doing? We got to go. We got to, if we don't get there, we'll be too late. And Jesus, and a lot of us, we've been in these predicaments, haven't we? It's, I need help from you now, God. I'm in debt. 
My marriage is falling apart. My, my crisis. Where are you? I need you now. Now! Why aren't you here? And what's he doing in the story? He's like lollygagging with this woman who's had chronic bleeding for a bunch of years. Hey, shooting the breeze. Hey, tell me about yourself. What's he doing? Why isn't he coming? You, you can imagine what Jairus is feeling in this story. Hurry up. Why don't you come? And then he hears words that no parent ever wants to hear. Your daughter's dead. I don't know about you, but I can't even imagine what Jairus was feeling to Jesus in that moment. And it's kind of, I, I, I don't know if Jesus smiled. Just trust me. Just trust me. I will not be hurried. I will not be hurried. I will not be hurried. It doesn't matter what it looks like. I won't be hurried. It's like, don't you love me, God? Don't you love me? I will not be hurried. Could you imagine a, a, a follower of Jesus ever talking to God that way? Don't you love me, God? Why aren't you here? Why are you in the midst of this with me? Do Jesus' priorities make a whole lot of sense here, by the way? I mean, honestly. No, of course they don't. That's why this story is so bewildering. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I was operating a hospital triage, it would look a little bit more like this. Woman comes in. Oh, hip card, please. All right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, what's the problem? Blah, blah, blah. Fill out these papers. So it's, it's chronic. You're not in too big a trouble. You know what we'll do? We'll just refer you to your family doctor who will then refer you to a specialist. Bye-bye. And then this guy comes in. His daughter's just hanging on to life. I'm not even asking for the OHIP card. I'm like, get her in stat. Would you agree? Uh, at least that's how my triage would operate. Now, some of you are like, well, yeah, well, actually, I don't like that. I want to be, I want to be treated more like that woman. Well, that's how our Canadian healthcare system works. <laughs> Make sure today you hug your healthcare professionals on the way out the door. But, but does this sound reasonable? Like, does Jesus sound reasonable and logical here? I mean, it's so much easier for you and I to just check things off a list, isn't it? It's nice when we have policies and procedures and rules and regulations for everything, isn't it? It's nice when everything just has its place and there's order and it's comforting and, and, and it's all filled out, planned out, and it makes sense in our heads, isn't it? Why is that so comforting to us? Because we like to be in control, don't we? We love to be in control. And Jesus is like, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying into your system. Here's the thing I want you to be known by. Here's the mark I want you to have. Here's when people look at you, here is what I want them to see. 
And you, are like, and you and I are like, well, what is it? Tell us. Tell us. And the first thing we see in this story that makes no sense to most of us is Jesus will not be hurried. He won't be hurried. And I don't know about you, but I often feel like Jairus. It's like, God, come on, do something. Come meet me here. Hurry up. And it's perplexing. And it's frustrating, is it not? I'm dealing with this or that. It's like, where are you? And it's like he's dragging his feet. And, and we're waiting. And it's like, come on. A any of you ever been frustrated by someone who makes you wait? Anyone know somebody like that? It's like, it's like they know, and I'm sorry for the person who likes to move at a very slow pace. I love you still. But it's like they know you need to move from point A to point B, and you're already late, and they know it, and they're intentionally slowing down to try and teach you something. It's like you've entered into their time and space. They know they have their thumb on you, you know they have their thumb on you. There's nothing you can do about it. And it's frustrating, isn't it? Why is that? Because we like to be in control. I once, um, once, I once dated a girl. Once. Who I showed up at her house. Once. And she wait, made me wait in her foyer for an hour as she applied makeup. Once! <laughs> we get so frustrated when people don't follow our schedules, slow us down, delay us, interrupt us, because we like to be in charge and control. That's what we want. It's the same thing in religion, isn't it? It's the same thing in religion. There, there's like this constant pull as followers of Jesus to what? Towards rules and legalism. Because it's comfortable when you have rules and legalism. When we know what's going on, when we have everything planned out, when we know how it is like... If I do this and this and this, then God will love me and God will operate the way I want. That's comfortable, isn't it? And we see in this story, God don't operate that way. And Jesus knows there's this gravitational pull that we all, all experience towards rules and regulations. And he's like, I know that's where you want to get pulled. I know that's where you want to grow, go. And I'm not going to let us go there. We're not going to go there. So you know what? I think I'm just going to delay for a little while. I think I'm just going to just hang out here for a little while because I want to teach you something. I want to teach you something so important. Let's just delay for a little while. A lot of us here and a lot of us who aren't here, we've been hurt by Christians and perhaps the biggest reason we've been hurt by Christians isn't because of Jesus. It's because of rules and legalism. It's because we were told, maybe growing up, this is what a Christian looks like. You need to dress this way. 
You need to act this way. Good Christians don't smoke, dance, chew, or go with girls that do. Right? Good Christians need to operate this way, this way. They need to be at this program, this program, this program. And Jesus is calling us and telling us over and over again, it's about a relationship. It's not about rules and legalism because legalism and rules leads to death. And, if, and it's, it's hard. Following Jesus is hard, but it's the most life-enriching relationship and it leads to life and life eternal. It's so much easier to be religious than to follow Jesus. I mean, can you just picture Jesus in the crowd here? I, I can just picture him kind of even looking over Jairus at all of us here. Maybe he's got a little smile at the crook of his mouth. You know, it's like, I'm not going to be hurried. And, and hey, and for those of you who want to impose your timetables and the way your preferences and the ways you want to do religion on me, you're going to be so disappointed with me. You're going to miss out so much, and it's your fault. It's your fault. I will not be hurried because I love you. I will not be hurried because I love you. But God, I need you here right now. God, I'm going through this right now. I need you right now. Now, God, I come to church most Sundays. I'm even mostly on time. I read my Bible every once in a while. I tithe. Why aren't you here? I need you here now. And, and he's like, hey, 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 remember what I told you? Remember what I told Hey, remember what I told you? If you follow me, what's the benefit of following me? You'll have this unbelievable confidence. And that confidence will make you fearless so that when the storms of life come your way, when life doesn't make sense, when the whole world's turned upside down, because that confidence, that faith in me, you'll be able to handle it. Not only that, you'll be secure. So what does a follower of Jesus look like? I mean, does a follower of Jesus then maybe he looks a little bit like this? Kind of like a hippie? You know, like no watch? Kind of always chilling? Hanging out? No concept of time? Is that, what do you think? Is that a? Maybe Jairus just needs to take a chill pill, doesn't he? Jairus, chill out! Don't you have confidence in Jesus? And in that moment, his daughter's life is hanging by a thread. And some men come through the crowd, and they say this to him. Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? I hope if you've been around for this series on follow, you're starting to see it more and more if you haven't already and you'll see it always through the Gospels, that whenever you come to Jesus, you can expect that he's going to give you far more than you ever imagined. 
And it's going to be in a way far more than you imagined. You see it in Mark 2. They, these friends are, are lowering this guy on a mat who's a paralyzed. He got far more than he ever imagined, didn't he? And, and there's like this storm in his boats. And, and the disciples wake Jesus up. They got far more than they ever imagined, didn't they? There's like this demoniac who's maybe 2,000 plus demons are inside of him. He, and he like greets Jesus on the beach. He's the welcoming committee. He gets far more than he ever can imagine. And Jairus, what does he want? Jesus, I just need you to break my daughter's fever. Fever? How about a resurrection? You ain't seen nothing, Jairus. You ain't seen nothing. When you follow Jesus and when you go to him, expect to get more than you bargained for. We do so much damage to Jesus when we put him in a box. When we just say, God, I'm going to do this, this, this. I'll show up at church every once in a while, even though I don't necessarily want a relationship. I'll do this and this. But, you know, and then when crises come and we're like, God, where are you? Why aren't you here? Why don't I hear you speaking in my life? Well, it's because you didn't want a relationship with me. You just... You just wanted a relationship with yourself. It was all about you, your policies, your procedures, your expectations. You have a relationship with me, and it'll be far more life-transforming and richer and deeper than anything you imagine, and it will change you. Let's just go to the climax of this incredible story. So the the plot has thickened, of course, because the girl is dead. Jesus looks at the father and says, hey, I'm coming over anyhow. Let's get a barbecue going on. So they come. And they, and they go in the house and everyone's mourning and wailing. I'm sure they had professional wailers then. That would be like the coolest job, would you think? <laughs> you know, hey, what are you doing Saturday? 500 bucks, show up at so-and-so's house, just cry really loud. That would be such a great, what am I talking about? Anyway, we'll just keep going here. Great, the professions they had back then. Man. Professional more. Anyhow, Jesus walks in, and I'm sure it's really, really loud. And what does he say? A very bewildering thing, doesn't he? Ah! She's only asleep. And everyone does what? Laughs at him. Now, some doctor you are. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't matter. He doesn't care. And he goes in, and he sits down. And he takes her hand, and he says two things to her. Talitha kuma. And the best translation I've ever heard of this, at least in modern day 21st century Etobicokean, is sweetheart, get up. It'd be like, it's like this picture of a father coming to his daughter on a sunny day to her bedside, getting down taking her by the hand and saying, Sugar Bear, it's time to get up. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. Do you understand why he says she's only sleeping? I mean, she wasn't sleeping. She's dead. You read all the other gospels, she's dead. 
So is Jesus just kind of like being deceitful, or is this another one of these like sneaky Yoda-like things he's doing here? A uh, couple chapters earlier, there's this guy being raised down through this roof who's a paralytic. And Jesus does a very incredible thing and does what? Heals the man. Unbelievable, would you agree? A chapter earlier, there's this storm raging, and just with a few words, he calms the storm and the waves. Pretty amazing, would you agree? Yeah, and just earlier, it's, it's, there's this man possessed, probably the, the definition of lost, maybe 2,000 plus demons inside of him, and Jesus exercises the demons into some pigs. Pretty huge. This is the most huge thing. He takes death face on here. And look at how he handles it. This death, our greatest enemy. And he handles it just like she was having a good night's sleep. And he reaches down and he pulls her right straight up through it. If you ever came across someone with that kind of power and that kind of compassion and that kind of love, why would you hurry him? Why would you rush him? Why would you make him jump through your hoops? Why would you? He's so tender. He's so merciful. And he just reaches down. And pulls her right through it. Just like she was having a good night. Death was just a good night's sleep to him. There's these moments where I read Jesus. I don't know about you. Maybe you can relate. Where I read Jesus and I'm like, I don't get it. I'm so confused. I don't get you. I don't get your jokes. I don't get what you're talking about. And it's in those moments I have to stop myself. And I have to remind myself. And it clicks. Oh, yeah. He loves me so much. He loves me so much. And I may not understand everything he says. I may not understand his jokes. I may not understand this or that. I may not understand why he blesses that person on that side of the auditorium and doesn't bless the person over here. I may not understand why he lets that person deal with cancer and that person gets better. I may not understand so many things, but the one thing I can know for certain, the one thing I can be confident in, is that he is the embodiment of love. And I can take confidence in that. Because of what he did on that cross, he can lift you and I through anything. Anything. I, I don't know as a kid if there's things that, are, things that would be far much more frightening than to be with your parent in, in, in a crowded place or in the dark and they're holding your hand and you lose their grip. But that's nothing. That's nothing compared to Jesus giving up God's grip to go on that cross for us. He went on that cross forsaken by God so that Every one of us here today, if we ask him to, if we invite him to, 
he'll reach out his hand to us and never, ever, ever, ever forsake us. That's what he did. That's what he accomplished. He'll never forsake us. And we could go through verse after verse. God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. So what does a follower of Jesus look like? I think that's where we started today. What does a follower of Jesus look like? You will know a follower. You will know a Christian by the love they have for one another. And some of you, especially if you're like me, you can get pretty cynical when you hear that word love. That's such a cliche word. So I would say to you, as I have to say to myself and read it all the time, look at the story we just read. If you don't understand what love is, look at all the ways Jesus demonstrates love and be like him. Look at the compassion. He feels what the people around him feel in this story. Look at the kindness. He gives strength. Do you see that? He gives strength to others who are weak. He loses his power. The woman with the issue of blood gets stronger. Look at the humility. I'm not better than you. See, see his, his, his alignment, our, our kingdom vows would be, of course we're going to help that little girl first. But for Jesus, his kindness, his, his gentleness, humility, it's like, she, this woman, she's not any better than me. They're not any better than me. In, in my kingdom, everything's upside down. Look at his gentleness. Look at his patience. Look at his love. Look at his love. Honey, I will give up my hand to God. So that you can hold on to my hand forever. That's how much I love you. The more we love, the more we show these values, the more we live them out, the more we're going to look like followers. And for every one of you this week, the question I hope you think about and pray about is when people look at you, who would they say you're following? Let's pray. God, we know it's not about clothes. We know it's not about appearance. We know it's not about the external. It's all about what you did on that cross to take care of the debt of sin that we could not pay. And yet we certainly try. We certainly try to do so many things to earn that love that's already been paid for. God, I just pray for every one of us here. Last week as we remembered vividly what you did those 2,000 years ago. Every day we need to celebrate that fact. That you invite us. You entreat us. You, you, you encourage us. You walk with us. You ask us. You implore us. You, you, you pursue us. To come. And, and with your hand, we can, we can handle anything. And because of what you did on that cross, um, that ultimate love, that picture of love, um, it's finished. The debt's been paid. We've been freed. 
And we should not be able to contain that message of love and want to share with everybody we come across. May we be known for our love for one another. God, I pray uh, in these days ahead that we would just every day be consumed with knowing you more, knowing how to live out that love practically all the time, whether in our homes, in our, in our, in our jobs, in our schools, wherever we go. Help us to just live out that love, that compassion, that, that uh, encouragement, that gentleness, that patience. Help us to have your timetable and your kind of worldview and your agenda and not our own. 